Welcome to this episode of the Think Wildlife podcast. Today I speak to Krista Wright who is the executive director of Polar Bear International. This is one of the leading organizations working towards the conservation of polar bears in the Arctic. Tune in to listen more and don't forget to share and subscribe to the podcast after listening to the episode. Welcome Krista to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. What got you interested in working with polar bears? Well, I it wasn't really specifically polar bears. Um, I've always had a passion um, about the natural world and conservation. And so um, my drive was always to um, be working in that in that area of work and also in my own life, spending a lot of time outdoors, enjoying nature and all the natural wonders of the world. And um, polar bears just became part of that. And I feel super fortunate, but it really came through my just greater love of conservation and specifically connecting kids. Um, My previous background was working in environmental ed and outdoor education, where I spent over 20 years um, working with kids in the out of doors and working with educators um, to get them more passionate about science education. And, and that's really what led eventually to the polar bears. What was the idea behind the Polar Bears International? And what is your long term vision with the organization? Well, the organization um, was started in 1992. And so, of course, I wasn't part of the organization at its inception, but it was really a group of polar bear enthusiasts who enjoyed getting out and seeing polar bears in the wild. And specifically, Dan Gervich was one of those enthusiasts. He founded Polar Bears Alive. So in its origination, it w- it was called Polar Bears Alive, and this group of people would gather every fall during the key polar bear migration um, and, and enjoy being in the subarctic and taking pictures of polar bears. Um, and since then, you know, Polar Bears International has really emerged as a recognized leader in polar bear conservation. Um, that's specifically guided by scientists who study polar bears and, and, you know, understand their ecology and their habitat and their threats. And so at first and foremost, Polar Bears International has become a um, science-based organization that also does a lot of education outreach. And my specific goals or the long-term vision for the organization is is really um, wrapped up in our mission, and that is to conserve polar bears and the sea ice they depend on, um, and specifically for future generations um, to still have polar bears roaming out on the Arctic sea ice. What is the current conservation status of polar bears and where are they found? Well, the conservation status of polar bears is listed as vulnerable under the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, also known as the IUCN, and um, they are listed as vulnerable. 
um, in other places across the, the globe, um, that listing could be higher. For instance, in the United States, we polar bears are listed on the Endangered Species Act as threatened. Um, polar bears definitely face significant threats due to climate change, and that's specifically tied to the loss of their sea ice habitat. Um, which is critical to preserving if we want to have polar bears into the future. Um, and specifically, polar bears do live in the circumpolar Arctic. Um, that often gets confused. Um, sometimes people think polar bears live in Antarctica as well. And we see that misrepresentation um, through media and other things, but polar bears do only live in the Arctic and they live in the ice covered regions, ideally where they're out on the sea ice hunting for seals um, and their key habitats. Um, two thirds of the world's polar bears live in Canada. And then we also have polar bears distributed throughout um, Alaska, Northern Alaska, Russia, Norway and the island of Svalbard and Greenland. What is the ecological importance of polar bears? Well, polar bears play a crucial role in the Arctic ecosystem. Um, they are top predators. They are actually considered apex predators um, in the Arctic food chain. And they particularly hunt on ring seals and other seal prey species. And, you know, they're part of keeping that sub, you know, that population healthy as well. Um, they're also considered indicator species um, because they're living at the top of the food chain and are often considered, you know, the, the canary in the coal mine for other Arctic species that are, you know, below living lower on the, the food chain. And they are, you know, highly adaptive to be living in the Arto Arctic ecosystem um, and really living out on the sea ice. That's where they do the primary part of their, you know, things that sustain them, such as hunting seals, um, which I've mentioned is their primary prey resource. They also use the, um, the sea ice for mating and also for denning. So this habitat is critical. Um, and, you know, over the past too, this isn't so much ecological, but, you know, they've always had a huge cultural significance um, for the Arctic and definitely are revered by indigenous uh, Northern people. How do polar bears adapt to the harsh Arctic environment? Well, this is one of the coolest things about polar bears. I mean, they really are built for the cold and are uniquely adapted to survive the harsh Arctic environment. Um, and they do that through a, a handful of adaptations. Um, first, they have they have a lot of insulation through their thick layers of fat um, that it's beneath their fur. And this insulates them against the cold. Um, they also have really dense fur as well as a, a second coat of like water resistant fur that really keeps them dry. And especially when they're, you know, swimming in icy waters, they dry off quickly and stay dry. Um, 
And then they have these really big, large paws. I mean, imagine their paws are the, the size of a large dinner plate. Um, and they're extremely powerful with um, claws that are really sharp and good for helping them catch seals. They also have little suction cups on their paws that help them travel across the, the icy surfaces. And then their paws are also really powerful um, when they're swimming. And they can also be excellent swimmers. Um, this is, you know, depending, of course, on the conditions, but they are strong swimmers and they're capable of covering long distances in, in the water. And they use their front paws to paddle and their hind legs to steer. And then lastly, this is probably their most adept um, sense for sure, is their sense of smell. I mean, they have this really keen sense of smell um, that helps them to detect their prey source from great distances, as well as just using their sense of cell, smell um, for warning them about danger. You know, other polar bears in the area, other things that they have to be concerned by. It is definitely their most keen sense. Um, and, and then, you know, they just are uniquely um, geared to eating like this high, rich fat content, which you also find in the Arctic ecosystem through mostly seals. Like I mentioned before, they eat ring seals. They can eat other seals such as bearded seals and even the occasional you know, whale, but they they have the adaptation to process this high, really high fat um, diet. And um, that also helps them be big fat and, and, and in turn, that helps them stay warm and living out on the sea ice for long periods of time. So you mentioned the threat of climate change to the polar bears. One of the papers which the Polar Bear International was involved with is uh, basically studied how polar bear populations would fare under different climate change scenarios. And could you just elaborate a bit on this research? Yes. Yeah, so Dr. Stephen Amstrup, who um, is our chief scientist um, in Emeritus, um, he led led this research. And really what it's looking at is where we will have polar bears persisting in the Arctic under different scenarios. And specifically, you know, looks at the idea of no action to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, moderate action, and then swift, bold action. So if we continue business as usual, um, at the end of this century, we would likely lose most polar bears due to a loss of Arctic sea ice habitat. Um, whereas if we have moderate reductions, and that's, that's really a little below the Paris um, Agreement targets, um, we would have polar bears persist in some of their subregions, but really the long term still is is not ideal for polar bears. Versus if we take swift and bold action and really keep um, increase 
of global climate temperatures below that 2%, um, two degrees um, increase, um, that polar bears will likely persist um, along most of their current ranges. And that the messaging behind this is that really, if we act, it is not too late to um, protect polar bears and to see polar bears um, persevering into the future versus if we continue on our current trajectory, um, you know, ultimately this is not good for polar bears and we are likely to lose most of the world's polar bears. How severe is the issue of human polar bear conflict? And what are the driving factors of this conflict? Well, specifically as the Arctic warms, like we've been talking about, um, we lose sea ice. And the time between in which the sea ice breaks up and then forms again is getting longer and longer. And that's forcing more polar bears to spend more time on land. Um, and specifically in places where they could, you know, interact with more people. So this has led to a uptick of polar bear and human encounters. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes these encounters have not very good results for humans. And so this is equally as important, if maybe not more important, of protecting humans and communities and looking at places where we can reduce this, the negative interaction and really look at opportunities where we can improve this coexistence, where we have humans living on land and there are periods of time where there could be polar bears. So it is not the greatest threat to polar bears climate change is the greatest threat to polar bears. And there are lots of examples of communities living and coexisting effectively with polar bears. But it is something, you know, worth our attention. And, and clearly with um, the communities that live with polar bears, you know, looking at ways um, that we can improve the, the coexistence efforts. On that note, could you talk about how Polar Bear International is fostering human bear coexistence? Well, first and foremost, um, it's really about working with and alongside the communities that live with polar bears, um, because this it is their home, it is their community, and they have a lot of really great insight and ideas on how they can improve coexistence. So that is one area in which we've worked in is working directly with local communities and determining what their concerns are, what their ideas are, and how we can you know, support those. Um, and one of our long-term goals is really looking at those communities and how we can make them, you know, kind of polar bear safe communities. And through those, those efforts with the local communities in which we're working with, we've been using radar to detect polar bears coming into communities. 
Um, so as an early detection system, if a polar bear is into, entering into a community, can there be some sort of warning that alerts um, a conservation officer or a volunteer patrol or, you know, just the community at large that there might be a polar bear in and around their community? Um, we've also looked at waste management with communities and looking at how we can improve and reduce attractants that might be appealing to polar bears, you know, drawing them into places that they really shouldn't be. And so we've done uh, waste management audits. We've worked with a community of um, in Northern Canada called Churchill, um, Manitoba, where we have um, worked with the town to put in better bear-proof garbage cans. And we've also done just a lot of outreach, um, anywhere from creating coloring books that can be used locally um, to get kids more aware about um, safety issues around living in close proximity to polar bears. And we've done some really great um, educational outreach um, as far as like working with people that might be visiting communities where there are polar bears. And we've done this through safety videos and signage and working directly with the communities on how we can improve um, disseminating safety information. How does pollution affect polar bears? Well, pollution definitely can be, you know, have very negative effects for polar bears um, because you have polar bears at the top of the food chain. And then you also have currents um, in the Arctic where there's a bioaccumulation of toxins that don't actually happen in the Arctic, but end up in the Arctic due to ocean currents. Um, you know, pollution can be a, a concern for polar bears. Um, you can also look at just uh, plastic pollution and other debris from the ocean that ends up living in, you know, ending up being in the habitat of polar bears where they're ingesting plastics or um, absorbing, you know, chemicals um, that end up in the marine ecosystem. Um, oil and gas can also be a concern. Um you know, if there's an oil spill in the high Arctic, you know, the the impact on the marine ecosystem and specifically um, for polar bears would not be favorable and or for their prey resources. And um, so definitely it's it's a something to to be concerned about with polar bears, but again, it's not the main threat impacting polar bears. It really is you know, the the Arctic sea ice um, declining. What exactly is indigenous knowledge and what role does it play for polar bear conservation? Well, indigenous knowledge is taking, you know, hundreds if not thousands of years of knowledge and experience and taking that knowledge and implementing it into, you know, the sphere of which we know. And so for polar bears specifically, you know, indigenous people have been living um, amongst polar bears for thousands of years. 
and they have a lot of specific um, knowledge that from anywhere from where polar bears, you know, kind of their adaptations or areas that they end up typically or how to stay safe around polar bears and all of that knowledge ideally is incorporated into our current knowledge. And so that is very important as it relates to polar bear conservation because um, the people directly living with polar bears although they're not directly responsible for the threats facing polar bears, they are the ones living most closely to them. And so implementing this knowledge into management and into information that's shared more broadly about polar bears is um, critical and really important in, in all of our you know, communications and outreach. Earlier, you mentioned about a polar bear tracker. What are some of the other tech innovations which Polar Bear International is working upon for conservation of the polar bears? Yeah, so we've been really lucky to have an opportunity to look at new ways of doing things and tech has played a big role in, you know, looking at ways where we can, you know, innovate or progress how things have previously been done. Um, so one of the spe specific things that we've worked on, well, I mentioned the um, radar detection for early detection of polar bears entering in, you know, communities or work camps. So that's one tech innovation. We, but we've also worked at developing a, a tag. A, um, for instance, when polar bears are tracked, um, they generally have been tracked through the use of satellite collars. And currently you can only put the satellite collars on female polar bears. Um, polar bear, male polar bears, their necks are too long and heads too narrow, they're very cone-shaped, and the collars slide off. And so we've been looking at new ways where we could track polar bears that are possibly track different bears, not just female bears. So you could track male bears and even younger bears. And also that maybe tracking them different would be less invasive. So we've been working on developing what we call a burr on fur, where the the tracking device is actually attached to the fur of the polar bear. So that's another example where we've used tech to really innovate and progress how polar bear research is done. What are some of the research which Polar Bear International is involved with? Well, we've had long-term um, projects where we've been studying maternal denning, and specifically, we've been most recently doing this work in Norway. Previously, we had conducted a similar study in Alaska, and in that project, we are setting up remote cameras. Um, again, another tech innovation. We're setting up remote cameras on polar bear dens. So it's non-invasive. We're setting the cameras up outside of the dens before the polar bear mothers have emerged with their cubs. 
And the goal of that project is to really look at the time in which the bears are emerging, the health of the female and the cubs, and what their behavior um, is when they are outside the den and still at the den. And then also looking at the time in which um, before they, they come out of the den to the time they actually leave to go back out on the sea ice. So that is one project. We are also doing um, some really new types of projects using polar bear genetics. Um, that's a project that we're sort um, supporting in partnership with um, the Canadian government and also working with universities and looking at what we can learn from polar bear genetics. What else is Polar Bear International doing for the conservation of polar bears? One of, the, one of the most recent things was kind of twofold, was taking and using research and how it might impact policy. So um, the paper that we spoke about earlier um, from Dr. Stephen Amstrup, um, we were taking some of the most, research, most recent research that he did, um, specifically looking at you know, greenhouse gas emissions and understanding their impact on Arctic sea ice and using that information to impact policy around, you know, action around climate. So on the policy um, front of things, Polar Bears International has been attending international conferences with other like-minded people that are also focused on similar issues. Um, We've most recently attended Arctic, the Arctic Circle, um, where we were working with other people on Arctic-related issues. Um, and, and of course, we have formally participated in COP. Um, this year, we did not specifically go to COP and instead sent um, youth and indigenous rep representation from the Arctic to participate in those meetings. And then in this upcoming year, we'll be doing a big get out to vote campaign, um, specifically voting for the climate. So when we're electing officials, climate should be a big part of their platform and, you know, really looking at how we can pick up the pace on government um government leadership as it relates to climate policy. How can individuals contribute to Polar Bear International and Polar Bear Conservation as a whole? Well, there are several different things that individuals can do no matter where you live. Um, so one is, I think, to, you know, to, to get educated and to become informed so really understanding not so much specifically about polar bears, but really climate change and, you know, the impacts um, on our global community. And then you can use that information and knowledge um, to, to vote for elected officials that are going to really take action on climate, um, because it's not just good for polar bears, it's good for all people and all living things on the planet. Um, you can also vote with your dollars. So how you spend your money um, is really important. Um, and so looking 
towards companies that have good sustainability practices in place and that are also looking at ways that their business and the leadership that they have within their business can be, you know, looking at ways that they can reduce, you know, greenhouse gas emissions. And then lastly is really talking about it. I mean, I think one of the most important things that we've seen is um, even over the last, you know, decade is there are more people across the globe that are in agreement that climate change is happening and that there is something that humans can do about it. And I think that's come from, you know, the last decade of, you know, battling some of the misinformation, but also through having conversations with one another and finding areas in which we can agree on. Um, so that's really, um, that's really helpful. And then also you can just visit our website. We'd love for you to come visit our website. It's www.polarbearsinternational.org. And you can directly support our work by visiting our website or just come to our website and get more informed and um, not only learn about polar bears, but learn how you can directly help in our conservation um, efforts. What have been some of the most pressing challenges you have faced, not only in your personal conservation career, but also at Polar Bear International? I think one of the biggest is what we kind of we, we were talking about um, in the previous question around, um, you know, what can people do to conserve polar bears? Um, the the one of the most pressing challenges I've seen in the past decade was really the the denial of what was happening. But the good news is that's changed, and it has even changed um, during my time working at Polar Bears International international, where those conversations are less and less, and there are more conversations around um, the areas that we agree, and, and specifically the areas in which we need to take action on. Um, and so, you know, my most pressing challenge is actually, you know, it's been great to be at Polar Bears International for this period of time where I can actually see that challenge dissipate and improve, um, which is exciting. And it's, you know, I think it's not happening fast enough, but it is happening. What have been some of your most memorable moments from your conservation career? Well, definitely anytime I get to visit the Arctic or be in the Arctic, and specifically, you know, during during the winter, during when it's cold, during when there's sea ice there, or when you get to be with someone where they're seeing their first polar bear in the wild. I mean, it never gets old. It never gets boring. It's always exciting. And I think it always fills, you know, kind of fills the cup on, you know, why this is important why, you know, that I've spent the last decade dedicating my life to working with polar bears um, and and my colleagues too. I think it just, it, it really makes us realize all that's at stake 
Um, it isn't just polar bears. It is really all living things. Um, and this includes humans as well. And, and it never gets, you know, that part of it never gets old. Um, but it is, it is important to remain, you know, kind of optimistic and to kind of believing that, that we can do this. That was a final question I had for you today for this interview. Thank you so much for your time. And we hope you can enjoy Polar Bear Day this year. Yes, we hope you get to as well.